Hey everybody, I feel like we are gathered around the fireplace with friends here, and it's just, this is, this is an interesting one. I, I thought about doing this for quite some time, and I've been preparing for it for a long time, but I think the time is appropriate right now to share this. And this is a complex story. I took 50 years of data, 50 years of inflation numbers, S&P 500 numbers, GDP numbers, debt numbers, you name it. Every type of number built this whole model. So let's just jump in and tell you guys a story. And there's a truckload of math in this one. Big thank you as well to all the people here in the chat and the moderators and everybody else. And of course, we don't care about this. This is not entertainment. This is a story. This is a story. Yes, it's going to be about Bitcoin, but it's going to show the mathematical relationship between money supply national debt, stock markets, inflation, GDP, and how it all maps back to the potential for a great reset, and ultimately back into a conservative, very conservative Bitcoin price prediction at the very end. So stick around for that, and let's jump in. So first of all, what is the great reset? A lot of talk about this, a lot of chatter. It's been around for like five years, but it's really been brought to a head because of what happened with C19. And Basically, the crux of it is at a time of diminishing tax bases and soaring public debt, which we'll look into, governments have a powerful incentive to pursue such an action. Hmm, action? What action? Deleting the debt? Increasing the money printing? I don't know, but let's dig in and see what we find. So first of all, it's going to be a lot of charts. So um, some of these have got kind of eye charts. We made them as visible as we possibly could. So I'll try and walk you through them all. Some might look the same, <laughs> but they're all different. But they all look the same for a reason. We'll talk about that in a minute. First one is the relationship between debt and M2 money supply going back over 50 years, since 1969. Now, what you pick up from this, obviously, increasing money supply involves borrowing. So there is a correlation, but the correlation is uncanny. The big question is, are we accelerating? Now, anybody could tell you looking at that chart, yes, the delta, the rate of change is increasing. Now, when I analyzed this 50 something years of data, it, the first tripling took about 11, 12 years. No, the first tri tripling took 13 years, I think. Second tripling, 20 years. The third tripling, another 20 years. However, what's happened in the past 10 years, in particular, the last two years, has been expansion like we have never seen before. So we'll dig into that a little bit more and find out what it means. Uh, second one is the empty money supply growth minus CPI inflation. So if you imagine money supply growing on average about 7.9% over the last 50 years, this is the rate at which the money supply is growing, but when you subtract inflation, it's not keeping track. So nobody seems to be talking about this, but basically, I believe this is proof that the CPI inflation number is completely cooked. The trend is clearly up. For the first 20 years, they mapped mathematically together. But lately, they don't. The red line is the trend line. Again, the delta is increasing. The delta between the actual money supply growth rate less the CPI inflation. And uh, that tells me <laughs> the inflation numbers are really, really fake. Now, I know a lot of people who are struggling to buy a house right now, and they were looking at houses a year ago, like January 2021, and they're looking at them today. And they are stunned 
that the prices have gone way north of 20% in a year only. And that's just in the US. And I know it's worse in Canada. It's worse in other parts of the world. Um, so anyway, inflation is definitely way higher than we expect. So let's look at another thing. This one is the M2 money supply increases household wealth. Yes, it does. This is another proof. And this shows you the household wealth increasing from 2019 to November 2021. That's as far as it goes. It's grown by 10 trillion. Now, that's pretty much the supply, the growth in money, M2 money supply. Now, the question is for you all out there, has your household wealth grown by 83,000 since March 2020? Because if you take 10 trillion divided by 120,000 households, everybody should, on average, should have gotten $83,000. But because of the Cantillon effect, those closest to the money printer have the most to gain. Those with the most hard assets have the most to gain. Those with the most equities have the house to gain. But let me know if you feel your household wealth has grown by 83,000 over the last 20 months. Interesting, because this is what the government thinks. Everybody should have increased their household wealth. Oh, I want to get back out of there. So next slide is the M2 money supply growth less GDP growth. So similar to the M2 money supply, less CPI, this is the M2 money supply growth, less the GDP growth. And again, the delta is increasing. That's the red line. And again, the first 20 years, they were in parallel, but lately they're not. So up until I think it was 1988, it was negative to flat. And now we can see the real correlation between money supply growth and the growth in GDP. And the faster the money supply grows, the faster the GDP grows. But of course, money supply has to grow at a faster rate to fuel that GDP growth. So the question is, if you stall the money supply growth, you will kill GDP. This is why I believe money printing will have to continue. But let's go a little bit further. And I'm sorry about all these charts, but they're very, very important. And they tell a very important story that we all should be aware of. First, this is the money supply growth and the S&P 500. Look at that correlation. It was a bit squiggly uh, in the lower numbers many, many years ago because of recessions and hyperinflationary periods. But over the last 20, 30 years, the R squared is 0.944, i.e. the more money that's printed, the higher the stock market goes. They are almost perfectly correlated. Now, remember as well, the number at the bottom represents the S&P 500 number. So it's right, right now trading about 4,500, something like that. And for each $1,000, it's worth about $10 billion in market value. So the S&P 500, for those who care, is worth about 4,300, $43 trillion, which is <laughs> very close to that amount. So again, for every $1,000 in S&P value on this chart, it's worth about $10 billion. So Hope that helps that. Now let's look at the S&P 500 versus debt. We know debt and money supply are correlated. Here the R squared is 0.92. And obviously the more money supply requires more debt. So it's no surprise that these are aligned, but I thought that was very interesting too. So you can literally take a straight line and map it out. Now there were fluctuations again, more than 20, 30 years ago, but look at lately, the, the, the debt has gone hockey stick. And that means technically the stock market could be lagging behind. So we'll watch that carefully, but that's why I believe the stock market, despite all the volatility and weakness right now, it will go up in 2022, barring any unforeseen circumstances. So let's talk about uh, this one. This is for Caligula in the audience. 
Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. Milton Freeman famously said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. Everything I just showed you up to now proves that, point blank. And he figured this out, what, 50 years ago? So pretty smart guy. Now let's talk about inflation control because everybody's talking about inflation. Can you control it? So my theory is, Tightening is not happening. People are talking about tightening, tightening. They're not tightening, they're tapering, which means they're slowing down the growth. But M2 is still growing at over 15% year over year if you go back the last 12 months before we have data. Now, to hit target inflation rate of 2%, which is what Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, would want. And by the way, this is very America-centric, but this same problem is happening all over the world. I don't care if you're in the UK or in Japan or in Europe or in Argentina. It's all the same, just on a bigger level. But to hit that target inflation rate, they need to reduce the M2 growth by at least 66%, take it down to 5% from the 15% right now. And if they do that, that will crush GDP growth and employment numbers. And we already know, like at CPI, the employment numbers are also fake because people have just left the workforce. You know, you can only claim unemployment benefits for a certain amount of time. And after you Stop getting them, you leave the workforce and you just stay home or do whatever or work on the black market. Anyway, higher interest rates will not bring down inflation. We know this. And excess money that is produced has a long inflation tail, which means the money injected into the system will still have an impact two years out plus. So we believe that between 2024 and 2025, inflation will still be at least 8%. And that's assuming they don't print any more money. That's just the tail of the money that has been printed to date so far. So staggering thoughts. Now let's talk about dollar versus gold. Not to not shilling gold here, but if you had bought gold in 1971, it would have cost you 35 bucks. Today it's 1840. It's gone nothing but down over the last 11 years. But the point is the dollar has lost 98% of its purchasing power in the last 15 years against gold. That is stunning. But coincidentally, gold has been down for the last 11 years. But guess what came on the scene just over 12 years ago? Bitcoin. I think that's uncanny. I've never heard anybody pointing that out, but we know it's the new digital gold. It's a little secret. Now let's talk about what happens when there are economic problems with too much debt. So here, this chart has three lines on it. It shows the US GDP growth over the last... 60 years. It also has a GDP growth for China, which basically from pre-2000, it wasn't much and it's just exploded. And at this trajectory, it has a chance of overtaking the US in the next five years or so. And the Japanese growth for the last 25 years has been flat. So what happened there? So uh, basically, it's called the lost decade, then it became the lost two decades, then it became the lost two and a half decades. But what Japan, the problem they had, they had a bubble caused by excessive loan growth, quotas dictated by the Bank of Japan, which is Japanese, the Japanese Central Bank. And the Bank of Japan, through their policy mechanism, was known as something like window guidance. But that has caused all the problem, excessive debt. Too much debt is a bad thing. And look what happened to Japan. The last 25 years, flat growth. Now let's look at the currency. I used to trade this stuff a long time ago. So this is the, just to prove the stagflation in Japan is not caused by the depreciating currency. The dollar is debasing, 
But look at the dollar yen. It's been the same for 25 years. Basically, it's about 100 yen to the dollar. Has not changed despite no GDP growth in Japan for 25 years. Staggering. Now, are the Japanese printing money? Big question. Yes, they are. <laughs> but not as fast as the US, in fairness. But they are also printing money. And I think they want to keep that peg of 100 to 1, maybe with the dollar, um, just for international trade and everything else. If they lose that, they could be in a world of hurt. Uh, so that is the Japanese story. That's what happens with too much debt. Too much debt is bad. Now, what is the Great Reset concept? So it's a green button. You press it to reset the world. Only kidding. No, you're not. But basically, as I mentioned before, it's the fact that the population in many countries is getting older. That means there's a diminishing tax base. Salaries are getting smaller and smaller over time. Currencies are debasing. They're soaring public debt. And the governments have a powerful incentive to press that button. So that's what this is all about. So what does the World Economic Forum have in mind? Many of you may have seen this. This came out a while ago. And this is on their Facebook page, and the video's been all over, and it does rattle a lot of people. But they literally said this, you'll own nothing and be happy. It sounds like a <laughs> some communist propaganda. And this is the Davos plan from the World Economic Forum. But look how happy he is. You know, he owns nothing, but he's, he's a good-looking man, delighted to be alive. Who wants some of that future? Anybody there? Drop a comment below if you do. This is what they also say, you'll rent everything because you'll own nothing. You will pay a tithe to have the place in which you live. And they threw in a little bit of, I guess, Amazon package delivery with a drone. So you never even have to leave your house, your rental. No, it's not your house anymore. I mean, you'll never have to leave your rental anymore. This is, uh, this is very dystopian stuff. And they also mentioned there will be a new superpower. The US will no longer be the world's leading superpower. Yeah, we could have figured that out a long time ago. But they kind of like, what will this new soap power be? It'll be a whole bunch of rich people in an ivory tower controlling our destiny? I don't know, but it sounds very scary. And this guy is one of the guys behind it. He has your back. He said, the pandemic represents a rare and narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. This man has people's attention, which is even more alarming if you're not already alarmed. So the question is, where are we going from here? So. As usual, I have a model, and this model, I'm going to walk you guys through it of where I see things going. A very sandbagged, very conservative parameters of how Bitcoin gets to a million dollars by 2031. But don't get too excited just yet. So first of all, uh, the money printing will probably continue at 15% on average. It is 15% now. They're going to curtail a little bit, but then there'll be a crisis, and then they'll accelerate it again, and they have to. And then the rate at which they accelerate, as we saw from the charts, is 10%. So if they're doing 15% now, maybe they scale back to 10%, and then they'll be accelerating by 10%, they'll be 11%, there'll be a crisis, they'll go back to 20%, etc., etc. You get the idea. And that means the purchasing power debasement typically happens with a time lag. That'll be 60% of that. So your inflation rate will at least be 9%. Highly conservative. We know it's 15% today, but it'll be about 9%. And a value of a million dollars in real purchasing power today, forecasted out based on these numbers to the year 2031, will be about $389,000. So basically, you lose over 60% of your purchasing power over the next 10 years. Now, if you look at a home, imagine you've got a million dollar home. Yes, that will increase at about 55% of the M2 money expansion, which will be about 8.25%. 
and your million dollar home will become a $2.2 million home in 10 years. But there's a catch. The home valued in real purchasing power will not be that much. It'll be worth about $860,000. So it'll fall away in terms of real intrinsic value. So if you live on blueberries and apples and stuff like that, you'll notice trading in your house for those things, you're not going to be able to buy as many apples down the line. Now, Bitcoin, if we look at the price today, 42K, we're still hovering around that level. It will appreciate no matter what. And my most conservative estimate over the next 10 years, given the absolute scarcity, is 37% increase per year. And that is one sixth of the historical inflation or the appreciation of Bitcoin. And using that most conservative number, it will take us to a million dollars in the year 2031 but that will only be worth about $392,000 in real purchasing power. But again, many people talk about it going a lot higher than that, like Robert Breedlove, 12 and a half million by 2031, etc. But remember, your house will not appreciate as fast as Bitcoin, but you can buy your house in margin, 10% down, then you, can, then you can make it work. So let's talk about what is the conclusion of all of this. I don't want to alarm anybody, I want to make people aware that something's gonna break, something's gonna give. Either they slash money printing, slash spending, unemployment, stagflation, we have a situation like Japan, I don't see the US going down that route. They've seen 25 years of history, they've seen that that method doesn't work. So the money printing probably has to continue. And I know people like Jeff Booth and Greg Foss and uh, Raoul Paul and Robert Breedlove and everybody is on the same page. Some of the smartest minds in the business, they all see the same thing happening. So remember, if the Great Reset is to happen, the real thing that has a lot of people scared is they're going to take your property and they're going to take your cash and your account. They're going to confiscate your house, your apartment, your yacht, whatever it is. But remember this, they may take away our lives, but they'll never take our slash freedom, I mean Bitcoin. So this is <laughs> the cool thing about this, the, being your own sovereign can be a great hedge. Maybe there's only a 5% chance of this great reset happening. Some people think it's a lot higher, maybe 20%, maybe 50%, maybe 100%. But just having that hedge will protect you and your family. So hope you like that content. Don't want to scare anybody. Just look at the numbers. But the way things are progressing is a little bit alarming. So big thank you everybody for being here. Thank you to the mods. And hang tight, everybody. I'll see you all tomorrow.